0: Recorded live.
1: Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to Talking Twilight Zone.
2: them fellas was out there in that car? Well, I'll tell you who they was. They was from outer space. (laughs) Now, wait a minute. I don't know how they did it, but they just wheezed me right through the air, right into their flying saucer, and they was going to kidnap me.
3: (laughs) But this is the
2: truth. Honest, honest. You know how I got away? I just took out my harmonica. Blew a couple of chords and they just fainted dead away. You open this door with the click of a mouse. Beyond it is a world of sound, thought, and opinion. In-depth discussions of television's greatest blending of science, superstition, imagination. And you're invited along. Next, will be Talking Twilight
3: Zone. Howdy, everybody. This is Lynn here, and
1: uh, we are here again for Talking Twilight Zone. And I'm glad to be back since I was... Uh, Absent for our last show.
4: And, and where's uh, your note? I went to the Yeah, I know.
1: Note. I know. I need to bring a <laughs> note from the doctor. <laughs> Bobby was not here either. And uh, sadly, he was in the hospital, but nothing serious. And he's back with us. So I want to welcome Hooray! Bobby back. And I also want to. I, I, my-
5: I, I insisted to be let out of the hospital just for this episode. <laughs> I and told him I don't care if I die or not. This is the one I got to do. So.
4: <laughs> The old storyteller dedicated. that you are, Bobby.
5: That's dedication for you. Pretty speaking sure they're of, all listening. Speaking sure they're of they're all Paul listening. Tales. So I want to say hello to all those people who got playing with my private parts for two weeks. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, speaking of telling tall tales, right? <laughs> I also want to.
5: Welcome, oh, you know me so well. <laughs>
1: I want to welcome my co my other co hosts Robert and Dave. Hi. Good to ha- good to have uh, you guys here again. But you're always here. Hello, hello, hey. hello. And of course, I want to welcome a long lost friend. I'm glad that you're back, Rick. I'm so glad you're here again. I missed you. We all missed you. So it's nice to have you back again. And I want to welcome Kobo. And uh, okay, who else? Okay, unknown. Unknown was was Kobo. Oh, is Kobo? Hey, Hey, hi, so I'm just glad to see everybody here, and uh, our episode today is called Hocus Pocus and Frisbee, and I'm going to turn it over to Robert for the opening clip.
2: And now, Mr. Serling. The reluctant gentleman with the sizable mouth is Mr. Frisbee. He has all the drive of a broken camshaft and the aggressive vinegar of a corpse. As you've no doubt gathered, his big stock in trade is the tall tail. Now, what he doesn't know is that the visitors out front are a very special breed destined to change his life beyond anything even his fertile imagination could manufacture. The place is Pitchville Flats. The time is the present. But Mr. Frisbee's on the first leg of a rather fanciful journey into the place we call the Twilight Zone.
3: Thank
1: you, Robert. I appreciate that. And we had a little background noise, but now it seems to be gone. Wonderful. Okay, well, this episode, Hocus Pocus and Frisbee, is about a gentleman named... Somerset Frisbee, and he has a combination general store and gas station in a small little Maybury-type town. And the townsfolk know him well for his tall tales, tall tales that he spins about his experiences from his heroism in, in wars and his inventions and his advice to presidents and captains of industry, and all of these are stories that he fabricates. His friends, they gather in the store to hear him spin his stories, which they find very entertaining, and he often plays his harmonica in between telling his stories. So one evening, as he's alone at closing time, creatures from another planet lure him into their clutches while disguised as humans, two of whom had purchased gas from him earlier in the day. So they abduct Frisbee to their spaceship, and they want to add him to their collection of specimens from other planets. And the aliens, they accept his his tall tales at face value. They believe everything he says. So Frisbee appears to them to have the widest range of experience and widest education amongst the humans. They, They even believe him when he says he has doctorates from 38 different universities. They think he's the most brilliant human alive, so they want him as the outstanding example of the human race. So they ignore his pleas to leave the the spaceship. Uh, He wants to go home and have supper, but they ignore him, and the aliens insist that Frisbee accompany them to their planet. So Frisbee tries to convince them that he's simply a shameless liar, that everything he says is is just a made-up fib. But the aliens, they have no concept of lying. So they ask him to just sit quietly, wait for departure, and even tries to punch one of them in the face, only to break the human mask the alien was wearing and revealing his drab alien face. They they look like they had head injuries and and were wrapped in bandages. But uh, unable to persuade the aliens to release him, Frisbee decides to try and relax by playing his harmonica and makes the unexpected discovery that the sound is extremely painful to the aliens, who call it a death sound. After two or three of the aliens are rendered incapacitated by the harmonica. The remaining ones, they permit Frisbee to escape because they just want to get him out of there. So he runs back to the general store. And, well, I, I don't know if he, he actually ran back to the general store, or I think this was the next morning. He goes back to the general store the next morning, and he finds his friends waiting for him to throw him a surprise party. And they give him a little trophy that says, The World's Biggest Liar. Presented to him by his friends, and then when he tries to tell them what happened, they enjoy a, a good laugh because they, of course, take it to be another one of Frisbee's tall tales. Even though this time it was the truth. So Rod Serling's closing narration for this episode was a stern reminder of the old tale about the boy who cried wolf, and it's pretty obvious that this was the direction the story was going to take. You know, Frisbee—he's a notorious liar and a fabricator of tall tales. He has numerous friends hanging around this Cracker Barrel type country store. And it's it's interesting because they, they claim to be sick of his lies, and they tell him he's full of it. But it's plain to see that this is a close-knit group of good old country boys who tolerate him because they genuinely do like him. And there are others who like him too, such as sneaky aliens. And for a species who was supposed to have a much higher intelligence than earthlings, uh, I found them to be very gullible. I mean, they pretty much want to take him home, to join their growing number of exhibits, uh, much like what happened to Sam Conrad and people are like all over. You know, they believe his lies. They believe anything he says. And I find that very strange for who are supposed to be superior beings, and they think he's a superior earthling. And they promised me he won't be caged, though. He'll merely be confined. Well, that's okay then, I guess. (laughs) You know, he'll merely be confined. And one thing I did like, I liked the effect from the makeup artist, William Puddle, in which the alien's uh real faces are under human masks, as Frisbee found out when he punched out the leader in the face. And, uh you know, the alien's real face is background noise again. That's Kobo. oh Kobo. Kobo, you have a TV on? Oh, okay. All righty. All gone. Okay, but I did like that. I like that effect, you know, the, the mask effect. And, you know, the aliens' real faces look much like Janet Tyler's bandaged head in the eye of the beholder. I mean, I do have to admit, though, that they were they were pretty dapper dressers, you know, with their blazers and their turtlenecks, you know, very mm. hip 1960s attire. And, yes, once again, we have that much-used spaceship from Forbidden Planet. That makes yet another appearance in this episode. You can't say they didn't get their money's worth out of the props back then. Although when we see the inside uh, this time, we get to see a really cool 3D navigational ball. So that was a little something different. And it was also a fairly interesting uh, concept to have uh, Frisbee's ear piecing harmonica playing the the downfall of the aliens. Um, You know, his playing was the downfall. And that, that, that that was kind of a little different little twists. He sure didn't learn how to play from Bob Dylan or Billy Joel. Uh, It kind of made me nearly want to pass out as playing was so bad. But as could easily be guessed, after Frisbee escapes, returns to the store, you know, none of his friends believe him. Uh, As cute as they gave him that little trophy, it just showed how much they like him all, how sweet, you know. But I personally did not care for this episode. Never cared much for Andy Devine. He's got that grating your voice. Oh, they called me old cumulus frisbee. That's what they called me. And I just couldn't stand his voice. I mean, it was extremely annoying. But he appeared in many westerns during his acting career. He was annoying in those to me as well. But uh, I don't think I would have enjoyed this episode very much no matter who starred in it. Now we have Again, we have uh, a Twilight Zone attempt at a little bit of humor, a little bit of comedy, and I really hate that in the series. I don't think comedies belong in the series. They, they really don't, and, uh, you know, that's my opinion. And, you know, the rest of the cast is tolerable. Howard McNear, he's likable enough. He, he played Floyd the Barber in the Andy Griffith show. That's what he's best known for. Milton Selzer, he played the main alien, and we'll see him again in Season five's uh, episode, The Masks, and, of course, Dabbs Greer. He had a very long and successful movie career. We'll see him again in season four's Valley of the Shadow. He died in 2007 at the age of 90. And Andy Devine had a long and successful career, despite that grating voice. And he died in 1977 at the age of 71. So that being said, I'm going to rate this uh, a one. I give this a one rating out of five, uh, and mainly for the supported cast, and a couple of nice little effects here and there. I, I do have to mention one thing, though. I thought... Out of the whole episode, and even though I don't like comedies in, in the Twilight, the, the one line that I, I really found humorous that I had to laugh was when one of the aliens was trying to convince Frisbee how nice it was up on their planet. And he says, Oh, we have entertainment. We have a, a, a, a very entertaining Venusian who uh, sings in eight different pitches all at once, and he accompanies himself with his tail. And I just thought that was a great line. I mean, that made me laugh. So, uh, you know, other than that, the episode, really, to me, was not much of anything. So I am going to... Oh, and here's Felix. Hi, Felix. Felix is back. And Bear Join Fan the... Ron. is it Felix? Yay, Felix. Hey. Bear Fan Ron, yay. Okay, good to see y'all. All righty, I'm going to turn this over to Robert.
4: Thanks, Lynn. Yeah, I um, was thinking about this episode, and um, you remember um, when you were younger, Lynn, and you had a grandfather, and he used to... Um, Tell you his life in form of tall tales. Do oh. you ever have a grandfather that used to do that?
1: Mm-hmm. Uncles, grandfathers, mm-hmm.
4: yeah. Yeah, he would take a little truth and stretch it out, what we call a whopper of a story. Like how when he was young, he used to um, go to a run room school 50 miles away, walking in a snowstorm, no shoes on, uphill.
3: <laughs> both <you> ways. Know, <laughs> up, uphill, both <laughs> ways, <laughs> yes. <laughs> <coughs>
4: That's true. Being six years old, you didn't know the difference. Later on, though, you've grown up, you know, and outgrown old grandpa's stories there. And it's kind of like that with this episode. We just outgrew it, pretty much. You know, Frisbee, the rest of his life, he pretty much just sits there and tells stories. Um, But the problem you have with the stories, instead of telling them to children, he tells them to adults who know the difference between a tall tale and a truth is is the thing. I mean, if you're telling it to young kids, you know, that's fine. You know, they're not going to... They will believe what they hear until they grow up, and then then they figure it out, well, it was all just something that was told to us. Um, Truth stretched out to non-existence, so to say. I think it was kind of nice that it all comes down to, even though they looked at him as maybe... A little bit of a buffoon, but he was their little buffoon. They He did have respect, even though the people there rolled their eyes and shook their heads, and knew better about what he was saying. Right. Still, he was a respected elder. I mean, it can be looked back on tribes, um, always respected the elder, and you always had, the, I don't know if it's the medicine man or one of the other in the higher up. Archie and the tribe that would have the respect and to, to pass on the legends um, from their family. The
0: medicine man, the sh- sh- shaman, yeah. is it? shaman.
4: Yeah, yeah,
1: that's true.
4: So it, it's very much like that with this story. One thing I, I was thinking about was um, Star Wars and the Return of the Jedi. And the one scene that I liked in that one where C-3PO was trying to convince the Ewoks um, to help them and talking about a storyteller. This is basically what this is. It's basically talking about tall tale stories and also um, the importance of sound and how it can relate and how um, certain sounds just, grade on people. Sometimes sound can be pleasant as in music and other times sound can be damaging too too high. can kill you. But I do want to go ahead and play the one from Star Wars because it's one of my favorite scenes that I liked where um, C-3PO is explaining their ordeal um, through Sound and hand descriptions of what happened to him.
6: Princess Leia, was it? What about Artoo? Us, but not our own. Darth Vader. And Kenobi has come to the Death Star. Us, Mace and Jedi, Obi Wan Kenobi, and Machu Vader con Yumnum
2: Utape Yes, Artoo. I was just coming to that. Toronto, gosh. Master, look at Jiminy Choo <laughs> Choo. Uto millennium poken at chimney Cloud City.
6: <laughs> Usta, Nutz Vader, Han Solo, <laughs> Tico Carbon, One Kachna, Gupusalek. Oh. <laughs> Aun, hini <laughs> chatu thomo manne.
2: Oh, is your first time. Now you have to stay so very
4: Do we need HELMS? When? We do. We're not allowed to sell the serve那麼 İstanbul. You've to
6: grows. Who haveешed
4: I think it's great how C-3PO tries to explain um, the um, Star Wars Empire Strikes Back and their present time all in one minute in that clip. I think that's just great. Just the sound effects and the way C-3PO with his hands was describing what all happened. You knew the scene where... um, Han Solo was in the carbonite and all that stuff. I think it was great. That is a beautiful point. I never thought of it like that. but Yeah. Well, some some people can tell stories through dance as well, and through hand descriptions of um, trying to describe. You know, storytellers has been around for centuries.
0: The dance, mm-hmm. even in Hawaii. Yeah. Or
1: even oh, yeah. back to
4: Caveman, where it was described on walls.
1: stories, right. hieroglyphics. Hieroglyphics, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and he's in the, Hawaii. They tell stories and dance in Hawaii, yeah. The hula dances. Do you see what Ron said? He wants to smash C-3PO to bits. <laughs> Ron, you are terrible.
4: <laughs> well, maybe, Ron, I can help you out with something better. Um Another one that I mentioned in my review was the movie Galaxy Quest.
0: Mm-hmm.
4: It, it does very the way, way you were doing your review and talking about it and mentioning things which did pretty much connect with the Galaxy Quest. Tim Allen plays an ex-actor from a canceled TV series while on the convention circuit, aliens walk up to him to take him and his co-stars to their universe to overthrow the Overlord in their universe. They believe the signals that they received were historical records and not a TV series. Um, they recreated the War spaceship. Rise. Or Yeah, there's like a long stretch of a truth, as it was with this story. Um, when they get captured in the movie, and the overlord captures um, the captain of the aliens, they want him to describe to him that it wasn't true, that it was all just make-believe.
6: I love how Tim Allen's character finds a geek that's obsessed with the show, and the geek basically saves their lives. I thought that was a very, very cool...
1: Yeah. Yeah, I agree.
4: Yeah, it's um, connected into um, where you have the tether to Earth, and in the connection with them being on the spaceship...
2: You have all done far greater damage than I ever could have. Bravo! (laughs) Bravo. This is a moment I will treasure. Explain to him who you all really are. Tell him! Explain! are the... There's no such person as Captain Taggart. My name is Jason Nesmith. I am a, a. actor. We're all actors. He doesn't understand. Explain as you would a child. We, uh. we pretended. He lied.
3: Oh.
2: Yes, you understand that, don't you, Mathazar? Mathazar, I'm not a commander. I uh, there's no National Space Exploration Administration. We we don't have a uh, ship.
3: But there
6: it is.
2: <laughs> that ship is that big.
6: But inside, I've seen many rooms.
2: You've seen plywood sets that look like the inside. It, it, our brillium sphere is is wire with plaster around it, and and our uh, <laughs> our digital conveyor is a uh, Christmas tree lights. It's a decoration. It's all fake. Just like me.
4: So he goes on, just decimates him about what. They thought were historical records, wasn't really, but it was just a story um, that the aliens, and, of course, this episode as well, the aliens believed the tall tales that was being told. That's the connection with Galaxy Quest, that the aliens there believed that they were true historical records, but they weren't.
3: All right. So. That was a good but, movie.
4: Uh, yeah, Definitely. And excuse me, but I gotta play this clip because I love this clip so much. Straight on through the chompers. The Chompers?
2: Well, screw that! How are we supposed to get through this? Hollister, do you have the sequence yet?
3: Okay, the sequence is two, two, four, two. What two, is this thing? Four, I
6: mean,
2: there's no useful purpose for there to be a bunch of choppy, crushy things in the middle of a well, highway.
3: We shouldn't have to do this. It makes no
6: logical sense. Why is this here? Because
4: it's on the television
3: well, show. forget it. I'm not doing
4: it. This episode was badly written. <laughs> the episode was badly
3: written. I love that. <laughs> what, what
4: was that? <laughs> that Galaxy was um, Quest. Galaxy Quest. In my review. um from
1: Galaxy um, Quest? Uh, yep. I, I didn't recognize it.
4: That was one word. Um, I mentioned that in my review about the chompers coming down. And um, Sigourney Weir was quoting a oh, line about
1: okay. how All badly
4: right. written it was and I had to play that because I got a kick kick out of that.
1: I haven't seen that movie for for quite a while, so I I have forgotten that clip, yeah.
4: Yeah, I enjoyed um, Galaxy Quest, and I I, I I, I love it, too.
0: Star Trek also had um, um, episodes where aliens didn't know about the concept of lying, and an interesting thing, people with high IQs tend not to lie a lot. Like, Einstein never told a lie.
3: Maybe he
1: was lying about the fact that he never told a lie.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> well,
1: maybe. <laughs> because other people oh, said
0: it. That's why.
1: <laughs> okay. True. <laughs> All right. That's true.
4: <laughs> I got to play only 19 seconds of this because, man, I can only stand this much and I think everybody else can. Mars attacks. And I oh, okay. think a lot of us can remember this scene before they get to the radio station. You hear Slim Whitman singing. <laughs> They found out that the sound is what killed the aliens, um, very much tied into today's episode with the harmonica. So, but Not a Slim Whitman <laughs> fan, unfortunately.
1: Me <Ugh>. either. Bear Fran <laughs> Ron said, Everyone lies. See, that's. Uh, now you know who says that. House. Mm. House. He mm-hmm. says, Everyone lies. Yes, or lies. house. My. my My darling, and and
6: Holmes also says that Holmes. Sherlock Holmes.
1: Oh yeah, okay.
6: I've always wondered if Sherlock Holmes, I mean, if House was kind of a medical play on Holmes.
1: You know, that's very possible because you know the way he always uh, he has to figure out all these puzzles. And and Holmes, the same thing. He has to figure out all these, you know, detective puzzles and houses the figures out the medical puzzles, you know? Yeah.
6: Yeah.
4: Well, I gave it a little bit better. I gave it a two. I gave it an average um, points in the story that I can see further on down the line. Even though I do agree it's not the greatest thing in the world, Still, I did like the connection uh, with what we get later on with other shows and movies. Yeah. So I'll pass the, the um, operating theater over to Bobby there.
5: Thank you, Robert. Well, as some people here know, I've been in the hospital for two weeks. I just got out today. And only an episode as good as this could cause me to demand that I be released. <laughs> Even though the doctors told me I have kidney stones as big as Jupiter, I insist on coming out and having it as outpatient. Uh, as
3: we
1: just said, everyone lied.
5: <laughs> everyone lied.
1: Everybody lied. So
5: uh, even though even he though told me if they don't come out now, I'm going to be sorry, I had to be here. Uh, this episode goes absolutely nothing for me, as I said in my review. And, uh, I, you know, we always get on here and whine about the fact that uh, they do try to do comedy in the Twilight Zone. It doesn't work. Uh, I don't even think this is comedy. I don't know what this is. It's like a kiddie show. Um, What's really irritating about Twilight Zone is that uh, they keep doing comedy over and over again, and it doesn't work. I wouldn't mind if you did it every now and then or once or twice in the series. You can just discount it like you do with a lot of series and say, well, that sure didn't work. But they just keep doing it, even though it never, ever really works. So that's the unfortunate part. Uh I gave this a one only because of Andy Devine. I Andy Devine was a big part of my childhood. Because uh he was uh in Westerns he was the sidekick and he uh he had his own show called uh, Andy's uh Andy something, Andy's House, Andy's Club, something. And uh I watched that as a kid. I think it was a syndicated program. And uh I watched that. He had interesting characters on uh, a mouse and a frog and things like that. And uh, I was addicted to it. As far as the way he is, he's incredibly irritating and uh, annoying. And that's what he—that was his entire career, being irritating and annoying. Okay. Sometimes that works. If you do that better than anybody else, you get a career out of it. You can—you can do that. Just talk to Lynn. I'm irritating and annoying, so irritating and annoying that uh, Lynn married me. I was the most irritating and annoying man she ever met. So that's that's great. I was very Uh, intrigued. Exactly. So it can work. You know, it does work. But uh, this episode is just, uh, it just lays there. And I just watched it a couple hours ago again to refresh my memories if I wanted it to be refreshed. And uh, I got absolutely nothing out of it whatsoever. Yeah, I suppose the special effects are not bad for a TV show. But there's really no story there. It really isn't. And... uh, it just seems incredibly out of place. That's all. There's just nothing going on in it to keep you awake. I have no idea what I thought about the first time I saw it. You probably was wondering what it was doing in this series. That's, the Twilight Zone carries that burden with it because it's called the Twilight Zone. You always expect it to be something creepy or bizarre or something to really disturb you in some way. And then you get episodes like this that are just kind of nutty and you wonder you know, exactly what you're, uh, what you're looking at. So um I gave it a one only like I said because of Andy Devine. He was most unusual, that is for sure. I mean there was never anybody like him. Nobody and he, he's good for this episode. I will say that. If you're going to do an episode like this. Yeah, I, I would get him to do it. I would uh that makes a lot of sense. It's a very good fit, but the story itself just um is nothing. It's absolutely nothing. And I think I don't I think I think it's more of the kids would probably enjoy it. And Twilight Center, at least where I lived, was the one like at 9.30 at night, I think on Fridays. And uh, I had trouble getting my mother to let me stay up that late. So, uh, you know, there's, there's really uh, absolutely nothing there. And uh, unfortunately, I have nothing to say about it because it just doesn't impress me. I'm just glad we're beyond it. And uh, I gave it a one only, like I said, because of Andy Devine. And uh, I'll keep it there and just say uh, that's about all it did for me. Lynn?
1: And Bo- Bobby uh, yeah, Lynn. Ba- Bear fan Ron said, "Welcome back."
5: Oh, thank you very much. And he
1: said, "Maybe it was called Andy's South House."
5: <laughs> it was uh, well. That would have been a good name for it, but I think it was Andy's Club or something like Andy's that. Andy's Gang. Andy's Gang. That's the Andy's gang. another. Gang. See that another fan? You see that? You never know who you're going to meet. Um, Andy's Gang. Uh, that was the show. It had uh, Froggy the Gremlin. I think was his name. Is a frog. And Squeaky the Mouse and somebody I'm leaving out, and uh, it was basically nothing. He just got on the script, just talked to all these puppets for a half an hour. I think it might show cartoons or something. I don't know. And anyway, I never missed it. I thought it was pretty good. It actually, like I it. would have been Kinda happy. Like to watch he... like
1: yeah, it. kind of like Howdy Yeah,
5: something too. like that. Yeah, but it wasn't it wasn't live or anything. It didn't they didn't have a, an audience there. It was just him. And uh, I, I think I would have enjoyed it better today than I did watching this episode. So. Uh, Unfortunately, I, I don't It's probably at YouTube somewhere, but uh, maybe I'll look for it later tonight. I'll stick with one. That's that's all it gets from me. I'm sorry. I can't go any higher than that. Lynn?
1: Okay. And Kobo, yes, Rod Sterling read this episode. Oh, Good
5: sure. oh, God. Yeah.
1: yeah all he right. this episode. Uh Yeah, Kobo was asking that. Um, okay, so I'm going to turn this over now to Dave.
7: Okay. Uh, by the way, that Andy's gang ran from... 55 to 60. So I'd only finished that two years ago, and I was going to start by telling you guys I'd just come back from uh, Napa Valley. Uh, Robert Parker just uh, called me up. He wanted me to uh, check on some wines, give him some ratings for him. Taste buds, he said. That's what he used to always call me, Taste buds Cooper. I want you to come and help <laughs> me with these. Uh, wine so, um, but I won't tell you that story because you might not believe me. <laughs> I quite enjoyed it. I quite like that character. I mean, admittedly, he always played the same one. I mean, the I remember back from the old westerns, there were there were quite a few of those. There was always one that was always played the uh, the whiskey drum, se- uh, you know, the drummer for selling whiskey. Or. There was always one who played the undertaker. Or. There was always the one who's, who who played the jailer to uh John Wayne or something like that. Or, um, oh, Gabby Hayes. Gabby yeah. Hayes, that's the one. And uh, yeah. so, I mean, there with a staple. I mean, four four hundred films and TV series this guy played in. Um, uh, the episode, um, obviously, Oaks, Pope, some Frisbee. Um, just remind people on on the audio uh, aired ninth uh, of February. Um, the, uh, sorry, April the thirteenth, nineteen sixty two. ...series three, episode 95... ...and it's hard to believe that um, only... Uh, ...although he must have been working on it at some time... ...only a few months later in 62... ...he appeared in one of the biggest films ever made... Uh, ...How the West was one... Uh, ...Lynn mentioned uh, William, William Tuttle, the of artist... He went from doing this crappy makeup on those aliens <laughs> to doing the makeup on one of the biggest movies of its generation, uh, a film that's uh, just been uh, uh, a few years back. You know, has been uh, one of the films that has been declared needs to be archived by you know American culture. Uh, and I, by the way, have got a Blu-ray of How the West Was Won. And if if you ever want to buy one Blu-ray, that is a fabulous Blu-ray to own. Assuming you've got a nice big TV. To show it on. Um, well, William
1: Huddle so, did the makeup for that movie.
7: Yeah, yeah.
1: Oh no, kid! I didn't know that. That's, that's, that's I'm sure they.
7: I'm sure they had a whole group of people on it. Oh, but if you go sure, to the wiki yeah. page, uh, it says. Um, um, yep. Uh, so his name is on there for that. Um, I didn't
3: know
7: that. Uh, I, uh, I was hard to try and work out whether this was a cheap program or not because, in one sense, I thought that that shop that they're all in the store in. I thought somebody's done a fabulous dress dress design on that store, but I'm assuming it was at some old western town that people can go and visit, you know, uh, for American culture because it it seemed to be absolutely brilliant the way it was conceived. And then when we went to the alien spaceship, it was a little bit like um, an aluminium glass house. Um, and, and what I saw, I don't know whether Robert's the one to ask. I thought I again, for about the third time, saw the navigation globe from the Forbidden Planet in the foreground. You know, when yeah, that's
4: why Lynn said the spaceship.
1: Um, yeah, I said I, and when I when I was reviewing, I said we got to see a really cool three D navigational ball this time, because every time they show that spaceship, you don't really get much of a view uh, yeah. of the inside. And this time, you got to see the the navigational ball.
3: And
7: I think well, it was Planet. The
4: it kind of reminded me of This Island on Earth. Is that what you were thinking of, Dave, with the...
7: Oh, ah, that might be it. That might be it. They're going to land, and uh, Walt's pigeon's telling them they can't land. You might be right. Uh, Forbidden Planet. And um, wasn't it the costumes they'd used for that um, only a couple of weeks ago for the giant spacemen? They'd, they'd used those costumes, hadn't they? To serve man? Yeah, no, yeah, the, yeah. No, the... the the one we did a couple of uh, weeks ago, um, you know, where we had the the the the the, the, the spaceman who kills the very small people, the little people. Oh, you're talking it? about the little, the, oh, okay. the little people. Yeah, and the the aim, a, the spaceman had them. Um, they were reusing costumes. Maybe that was from uh, Forbidden Planet as well. Anyway. Um, I quite enjoyed it. Uh, I mean, it was a frivolous episode. It uh, was a throwaway one. Um, if Robert Ster- uh, Sterling did write this one, it's obviously one he wrote on the back of a, a napkin while he was having a, a business one. Yeah, he did one write one it. Day. He
1: wrote this one, yeah.
7: Right. But, uh, yeah, I, I thought it was quite entertaining. It was um, it was ironic. It was playful. Uh, the, the casting of that chap, whether you like him or not. And I, I do understand what uh bobby's saying about that because uh, there have been some actors in episodes where i just don't particularly like that actor uh and i think we've mentioned it a couple of times lynn uh way back um when uh, when we had one actor that we didn't like it was um shelly Shelley um, shelly yeah. mind in the uh, matter mm-hmm. yeah, oh, yeah. Uh, and, it, and if you'd like that. yeah so uh, uh, you know, if you if you come to it with that, then it, then it colours an episode for you anyway. Um, so uh, not really a, a lot to delve in with this one. It's really a one line joke that backfires on the storyteller, and I suppose it's a bit of a moralistic tale, isn't it? It's, it's the um, you know cry wolf type of story uh, redressed. But I thought it was a, an entertaining little show. Uh, I'm not sure I can give it three out of five. But let's say it was a middle-of-the-road episode, so I give it two and a half out of five, and say, uh, I, I, I, like Bobby, I rewatched it only recently, but I'll probably not revisit it again for a number of years. But uh, uh, for what it was, um, it filled a slot.
4: Anything's better than the last one. Ugh.
3: That's Four true. Four o'clock.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, I will say one thing from this episode. I mean, as much I really didn't care for it. But it wasn't so boring that it just, you know, put you to sleep. I mean, it had a little bit of, of it kept your interest, but yet I wasn't crazy about the whole storyline, but, but it did keep your interest. So I won't say it was terribly boring. You know, unlike, uh, you know, one we recently reviewed on the on the board that was just dragged and dragged and dragged. This one didn't really drag. I mean, there, something was going on all the time, so that was okay with that. I mean, Felix gave it a four, it looks good. Yeah. It looks like it. Yeah. And uh, Bear, uh, Bear Fan, what did Fran Ron, what did you give it? He uh, give it a well, two. Well,
4: did he give it
1: a two? Right. He gave you a 5. <laughs> <laughs> gave a five. Yeah, <clears throat> he gave me a 5, yes, Thank. He gave me a 5 episode of 2. I love Bear Fan. Uh, <laughs> I think
7: it was the look of the aliens that brought it down a little bit. I mean, uh, it basically looked as if they had uh, uh, bandages wrapped around their head, as you said, and plaster of Paris just poured on it. Yeah. Yeah. I like the makeup. Yeah, Rick,
1: um, Rick, what do you think of this episode? You, it's your turn.
0: Okay. Uh, finally, we got a comedy that works, at least for me. <laughs> uh, I like the uh, makeup. I thought it was great. I'm still trying to figure out, and I got some makeup artists who were still trying to figure out how they made it so they'd break their faces, the f- false faces. And like I said, you know, I disagree with the people who say, well, aliens aren't supposed to act that way. Excuse me, they're alien. When was the last time you saw one? <laughs> okay. Uh I have no trouble like I said, you know, I'm um, um, Star Trek. There are aliens that don't know what lies are because they're telepathic. Okay. Lying, as far as I'm concerned, is a human thing, just like greed, avarice, or everything we call an emotion. Okay? Who knows what the aliens' emotions are? If they even have anything, we could consider an emotion.
4: Well, lying is a way for us to cover our mistakes up, whereas aliens, if they make a mistake, they just go on and don't think about it. Is that what you would think?
3: Maybe. Hmm.
1: Maybe Edith Bunker. Was an alien.
3: <laughs>
1: she couldn't lie. Remember, she she would never ever tell a lie. I remember an episode of All in the Family where Archie she was trying to do a TV commercial and she refused to endorse the product of the sponsor because she didn't believe that it was the best one. And Archie was trying to get the money and he goes up to the guy and he says, "Oh, you got to excuse my wife. You know she never learned how to lie." <laughs> and it was the truth. She didn't know how to lie.
0: But uh, anyway, getting back to it. Uh, other than him having the annoying voice, I didn't really. It didn't really bother me. I, I'm gonna give it a four. <laughs>
1: a four, okay. Well, that's you that's and Felix, Felix. Get
4: it. Yep.
1: Felix yep, yep. You and Felix are together on that one. And and Bobby's there moaning. I hear you <laughs> <laughs> moaning. I just heard no. that
5: i hearing that my kidney stone started to pass. That's the problem.
4: So, I was going to say, that started to release there on you. <sighs>
5: I heard that. <laughs> That's what it was. One of them came out right when I heard that four.
4: It's like a bombardier releasing its bomb. Yeah, you told me huh?
5: about it. Yeah, I know. Well,
4: we, <laughs> got
1: we, have two. we have two fours, we have two twos, and we have two ones, which is awesome. Across the board, the- Kobo. What do you give it, pal? Six. Are you there? We lose Cobo. Hang on. Oh, I'm hanging on. Do
6: you mind on. if I do a quick review of, um, 4 o'clock? Because my lungs were horrible Alrighty, two weeks that's ago.
3: That's and
6: okay. I love 4 o'clock. It's, okay, like one, a, one of my favorite episodes.
1: Oh, you like that episode? Uh, yeah. Oh,
6: that part. I have to say it's one of the best social commentaries.
1: Well, that's true.
6: Really what's a social commentary? Cut out? It's the best... You are. ...social commentary of a right-wing fundamentalist that I've ever seen in my entire life. I mean, anybody that has the goal to, like, cross out parts of the Declaration of Independence and all that. The
4: Gettysburg that. yeah.
6: Yeah. And the Gettysburg Address and... All that, and he thinks he sees all this evil, and... It's a classic Twilight Zone episode where he finally gets what's coming to him.
1: Yeah, he and does. Yep, Theodore, he does get what's coming
6: to
4: him. And Theodore did chew up the scenery in that episode, definitely. Theodore Fykel, yeah.
1: Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but moving swiftly on to um
6: this episode... I think it illustrates the fundamental dichotomy in the twilight zone when we're talking about a- aliens. Sometimes, sometimes they're really more intelligent than we are, and sometimes they're portrayed as stupid. I think it's whatever the particular narrative calls for. Mm-hmm. Um, I wish Rod had gone one way or the other with alien life. I mean. That's my only criticism about the show as a whole. Is I wish Rod had gone one way or the other with aliens.
1: But you're saying that sometimes he portrays them as super intelligent and other times as idiots.
6: Yeah, and this one clearly falls into the idiot category. And...
1: Yeah, yeah, because even when they were at the gas station and they handed him a $10 bill to pay for the gas and he said, oh, a $10 bill, and they went, is that what that is? I mean, that's kind of stupid to even do that, because, you and know, that's just my theory.
0: Lynn, have you ever gone to a foreign country?
1: Oh, no, I have not.
0: All right, if I gave you a 20 shekel bill, would you know no, what it was? I would not
1: know what it was. But okay, end of discussion. Foreigners. But they didn't seem to be foreigners, right? I mean, they seem to be. <laughs> he
0: came in and he told them that they were two foreigners.
6: But oh, they hey, looked.
1: No, they looked like average Americans. Right, but they didn't, and they didn't say they were foreigners. They just, he said, "Are you from around here?" And, and they, they said, "No." No, we come from a long way off, but they didn't say they were from another country. I mean, they spoke like Americans. They looked like Americans. I mean, I don't know. I don't know if I quite buy that, Rick, because they... Uh
0: Dave speaks English, and yet he's a foreigner if he'd come here.
1: Right, but he has an accent. He has a foreign accent, right? He has an English accent. But these well, you know, in stories, none. they
4: said they're from Canada. That's all they had to say, they were from Canada. Yeah, that's what right. easy, isn't it?
1: They didn't do that. They Blame it on the Canadians. Right, but they didn't do that. They said we're from a long way off. They didn't say so that, could, that could be Pennsylvania. You know,
6: it it didn't sound Exactly. And you think intelligent aliens would do a little bit of preparatory research, you know?
1: Yeah. Yeah, We're like in historical
0: the... radio shows. They could have listened to those. Yeah. They still wouldn't know what a dollar bill was or a ten dollar bill.
1: Sure, I know you it was would. Green. No, I totally agree with you, Rick, that if I went into another country. Or some or a foreigner came here. Of course, that they may not know. Of course, they wouldn't know what the, the currency was if they weren't familiar with it. But these guys seemed like Americans. They spoke like Americans. They didn't say they were from another country. So it seems strange that they would say, "Oh, is that what that is? A ten dollar bill?" They didn't give any impression that they were from another country, other than say we're from a far way, we're we're from a ways off. Well, wow, that'd just be across. I mean. When I was in Seattle, I was a ways off from Pennsylvania. I was on the other side of the country.
6: And for that reason, I give it, like, a point five, if we're allowed to do that.
1: A a 5 rating or a point five? A
6: a point five. (laughs) Like
1: a half a rating.
6: A half a rating.
1: Yeah, sure, why not? You could give it a half a rating.
4: (laughs) I'm curious, Kobo, so what did you rate 4 o'clock?
1: I gave it a five. I gave it a Did five. You it a five? Oh, wow. It. You really like oh, it? You think
7: there's that much difference between the two episodes? Wow.
6: Yeah, and I really. Again, I think it comes back to loving the principal <laughs> actor in the episode. Right. I
4: love the oh, guy Andy. at
1: 4 o'clock. It's Theodore Michael, yeah. hmm.
4: I kind of well, thought of Andy Devine in this episode as more of like a Slim Pickens type actor. Did you yeah. think that way?
6: And and the whole country store thing seemed a little bit contrived. And me being from the South, I didn't particularly lo- love that aspect of it.
1: <laughs> Reminded me of uh, just the Andy Griffith show, you know, just like the country stores that you would see there, or, or remember Green Acres. Yeah, the country store there. That just remind me of typical, you know, cookie-cutter type of country store. But that's not who we
6: are, or even to a large extent who we were. I mean, I guess it's just me being from Georgia, not like in well, aspect of it.
1: But. I think they always portray it that way, though. They always try to portray these little, uh, uh these, these little southern, you know, uh, off the beaten track type of country places and they, they try to portray it as a country store where a bunch of old guys just sit around playing checkers and you know, just just telling tall tales and just shooting the crap all day long.
4: You know, like Petticoat Junction or Green Acres with right. directed, uh, yeah yeah
1: that's yeah. like a, a Maybury, you know, when they're sitting out in front of the barber shop and that kind of thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know they, they Floyd portray it the same way. Yeah, Floyd <laughs> and it was uh, the last episode, yeah.
0: Like like here in New York, if you go to Central Park, you expect to see old men playing chess all the time. Exactly. Like like me and a couple of friends of mine went uh, to the uh, um, Museum of Natural History one time, and it was uh, in December. And a friend of mine goes, Rick, where do they play chess all the time? And I go, it's too early yet. Wait till (laughs) the summer.
4: Yeah, Ohio, it's coffee shops. So just let you know. In <laughs>
1: Seattle? <laughs> yeah, in Seattle too it was coffee shops. Well, I didn't drink coffee, so I'm glad to be out of Seattle. <laughs> in Pennsylvania, it's just I don't know what it is in <laughs> Pennsylvania. Uh it's Ogies. Uh, and cheesesteaks. There you are. It's steak shops. Steak shops in Pennsylvania. <laughs>
4: you get to get her in the pizza parlors, there you go.
1: Yeah, yeah. that's what it is. Well, but somebody,
6: uh, somebody did make a good point in the text chat. We did get the grays from this particular episode.
1: Oh yeah, you were saying. Who was saying that? Uh, Felix or you? Who said F- that?
6: Felix said that in chat. Yeah,
1: yeah. What is the grays?
6: They come in a later episode.
1: Oh okay. Yeah, because I wasn't familiar. I don't think Ron was either. Yeah. Oh. All right. Well,
6: so, so that is that is the reason why I didn't give it a <laughs> give it a zero. I gave it a point <laughs> five purely oh, because of the grays.
1: That's a good enough reason. <laughs> All right. Well, we have um, we have a point five, and we have two ones, and we have twos, we have two fours. All right. That is across the board, wouldn't you say, Robert?
4: Yeah. Not too bad of a. Uh ready for this show
1: absolutely. definitely absolutely now, our next show will be on Saturday, March ninth, and that one I'm actually looking forward to that is going to be the trade ins and that's uh starring a familiar face from season I believe it was season one or two was it where um Beth had revisited was that season one or two, Robert?
3: forget.
4: I can't remember the season, but I have the clip where Rod brings the actor's name up. You want me to go ahead and play?
2: Yes. Rod Serling, creator of The Twilight Zone, will tell you about next week's story after this message. And now, Mr. Serling. We have a return visit next week from a most eminent performer, Joseph Schulkraut, And his vehicle is called The Trade-ins. It's a story of a future society in which new bodies may be traded for old. It's my own personal feeling that of all the various story areas we've tackled in the Twilight Zone, this has the most import and carries with it the most poignance. I hope you'll be able to be with us next week.
1: I I, I am. I am very much looking forward to discussing that one. uh, Oh, I like
0: that episode.
1: Yeah, me too, me too. I'm really looking forward to that one. Yeah, Joseph Schildkraut, he is absolutely a phenomenal actor. He was, he was a phenomenal actor. He was in, uh, I think it was... It's probably season one or two. Oh, well, I know it was season one or two. I just don't remember what it the- Head Revisited, you know, with Oscar Brezzi. And he
4: played... Oh, um, yeah. The prisoner. Yeah he, played, yeah, he played the
1: prisoner, the ghost of, the, of the, uh, hol- uh, the Holocaust prisoner. And he was phenomenal in that episode. And I think he's just as good in this one that's, that's coming up. So I'm looking forward to that. And also the the woman who plays wife, wife. Um, I forget her name right, right off the bat. But, Emma Platt. Thank you, Emma Flat. Yes, she was very good. So this this is going to be a an interesting episode, to and that will be coming up on Saturday, March ninth, and uh, same time, same place. So I hope we'll see. Um, Almost spring.
4: Of, Ooh, it's getting closer. Yes,
1: it's getting closer and closer to lots of warm weather and sunshine. Yes. And yes, more
4: yes. rain. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, yeah, April showers kind of thing. But that's all right. We'll still get more sunshine. More sunshine than Seattle ever gets. So I'm, well, I'm glad I'm back here. But I will hope to see all of you. Yeah, Felix, you too. I hope to see you and Ron and Kobo and everybody. And Rick, and now that you're back, I hope to see you again. Hope to see you. Yeah, you like this episode. you got to come back. Um,
6: I
0: March, will.
1: Yeah, March ninth. I want to see everybody here. ...for a really cool time. So
7: have a very... Yes, you can, Dave. Okay, thanks, Lynn. Uh, Just uh, quickly before we end... uh, ...obviously the people here are all fans of the Twilight Zone. Just to say, one of the other TalkShoe podcasts that I'm co-host of... ...is the Cult and Collective podcast... ...where we do all sorts of (laughs) cult TVs... uh, Doctor Who when it's on and Doctor Who comes back to our screens on the 30th of March so we haven't got long to wait for new dot Who but on uh, this coming Sunday which I believe is tomorrow
3: <laughs> whoa, uh,
7: we're going to be doing a, a one-off reviewing at the Twilight Zone so uh, I'm assuming uh, well, I don't know whether Robert this, this episode is going to be up on the feeds by then or whether you're going to hide it and edit it and do things to it but um, <laughs> Uh, if, uh, if if if people can't catch the show live, uh, look out for episode um, 191 of the Cult Collective. And I've just uh, for those people who are not in the chat room, just read some sad news. I'll uh, put some sad news in the chat room for Doctor Who fans that um, the designer of the Daleks, one of the classic Doctor Who monsters from the old series and the new, uh, Ray Kuzak has just died, aged 84. He didn't. Invent them. Uh, they were invented by Terry Nation, but he was the one that actually designed the look of them. And sadly, he's just um, died. That news has just hit the BBC news site. So, that's sad news. But um, it's tomorrow, Sunday at, at 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, and it's Talk uh, Collective. Talk ID: five four eight two one. Two o'clock, right? I always, I, I get the uh,
1: thing. I'll be there tomorrow. I'll be there.
4: Dave, right, I'll well, go ahead and you, leave the episode up. I'll go ahead and edit. I'll just torture it a little
7: bit. <laughs> okay. Yeah, that's
1: yeah. fine. Yeah, that, that should be all right. Yeah, I'll be there tomorrow, Dave, for your show.
7: Right, well, we we don't always start at on time, and we do do news, so even if you get there at half past two, we'll probably be just getting onto the topic.
1: Okay, cool. All right, well, thank you for that, Dave. That's great. And uh, so we'll see everybody in two weeks for the trade-ins. And I hope everybody has a wonderful rest of their weekend. And uh see you then. So bye everybody.
7: Bye. Bye. Bye. Bye. bye. In
1: operation. Is it water on me? Operation. The whole
2: bucket. See. Operation. Tell me horse it's true. Remote won the pieces, can collect your feet, But don't touch the signs. I'm the doctor for you.
3: Operation. Back.